Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've made that we can rejoice and be glad in. Lord, we thank you for the words of grace this morning, um, testimonies from your people of who you are and the great things that you've done, that you continue to do in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd open your word to us now and reveal more of yourself to us by your spirit. Uh, Challenge us, Lord, to desire more than ever to be like you, to please you, to walk in a way that honors you. Thank you, God, for your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, We had a wonderful time. Caleb flew in from Mexico on Monday night, and then Jesse flew in on Tuesday night, and then we had Thanksgiving together, the five of us. That hadn't hadn't happened just that way in a while. It was a lot of fun. Then Caleb left Friday morning early for Hyderabad, India, so he'll be gone for a couple of weeks there, and Jesse flies back tomorrow, but it's just a really good time. Um, so now we make the transition from Thanksgiving into the Christmas season, and I know that traditionally in a couple of weeks someone will be sharing a message about peace, but I felt like that was what I was to speak on this morning, so I'm going to do a little preface maybe that'll, that that can uh, be a foundational aspect of, but I want to talk about how Jesus is our peace. Um, you know, we desire peace around the world. Uh, at times, people clamor for it. You know, a few weeks ago, we had that mass murder in Las Vegas. And everywhere you look, there's things happening in the world, and we cry for peace, but there is no peace. We know better. He is our peace. On a lighter note, world peace must be the number one answer given by contestants in beauty contests. <laughs> when they ask what their greatest desire in life is. But at Christmas, we actually are a little more hopeful for peace than any other time, aren't we? Uh, Because we're more aware of the peace of God maybe than the rest of the year. We associate the Christmas season with peace and goodwill toward all men. But you know, in many ways, the Christmas story is anything but peaceful. We have this image of the shepherd's on the hillside tending their flocks at night and the angels appear and the heavenly host and they proclaim um, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And then we have the peaceful little scene in the stable of the baby Jesus. Um, But there are forces at work during that same time. Um, Jesus Christ was born into a world where the ruler of the day gave orders after his birth to kill all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in the surrounding areas, two years old and under, in hopes of killing the child that would become king. His adult life was punctuated with instances where the religious rulers of the day sought to trap him and eventually to kill him. And though he found no fault in him, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. All the time we know that in the background of Jesus' life, Satan is working to undermine his ministry and seeking to kill him. Yet Jesus, who was born into the violent and sinful world where so many sought to kill him, was prophesied hundreds of years earlier to bear the name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. In that passage of Isaiah 9-7, the writer continues... 
There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Our Lord is the Prince of Peace. What should that mean to us in our lives? Peace is defined by Merriam-Webster's dictionary as a state of tranquility or quiet. It's the absence of conflict and a place of quiet and calm. Well, there are two kinds of peace in our relationship to God. There's peace with God, and then there's the peace of God. We cannot have peace, the peace of God until we have peace with God. I found one scripture reference for each of these phrases uh, about peace in scripture. Peace with God is Romans 5 verse 1 and peace of God in Philippians 4 7. First, let's look at peace with God. It's understood that the absence of peace is conflict. That conflict is sin, which is disobedience and rebellion. The only way to stop the conflict is is to find reconciliation. And that's the great message of Romans 5. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Because of Jesus' life, death, his burial, and his resurrection, we have been declared not guilty through our faith in him, which has brought to us peace with God. It's an eternal peace that cannot be taken away from us. And it is his peace through reconciliation that establishes our relationship with the Holy Spirit, our helper, who guides us into a knowledge of all truth and works outward in us the fruit of the spirit, which includes peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Galatians five twenty-two through 23. Now, in and of ourselves, we are not restorable or redeemable. Only the one perfect God man, Jesus Christ, can restore and redeem us 
through his sacrifice and his triumph. The reconciliation was only possible through him. He is the only one that resolves the conflict of sin and reconciles us to himself. He is the Prince of Peace. When we place our faith, our full weight of trust in Christ and his shed blood on the cross and his resurrected life raised from the grave, we are reconciled to God, done, sealed by the Holy Spirit. We become joint heirs with Jesus of a heavenly inheritance. We step out of the temporal and we put on the eternal. We move out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are made new. We are made alive to God and dead to sin, as Greg was sharing last week. It is faith in Christ that justifies us. It is faith in Christ that introduces us to the grace in which we stand. And what is our response to this work of God? We exult in hope of the glory of God. What does it mean to exult? It literally means to be extremely joyful, even to leap for joy. Some of us are not natural leapers. We're more like lepers. (laughs) But some of us, Mary, Caleb, others have that natural bill, uh, leaping joy. Um, But internally, all of us, there you go. (laughs) Internally, all of us that have come to know the grace of God and experienced it, internally we leap for joy when we consider these things. We leap for joy at the hope that we might be like Jesus. That God in Christ has not only forgiven us, but empowered us to partake of his divine nature and to grow in grace and peace and become Christ-like. But it gets better than that. Not only do we jump for joy at partaking of the divine nature, we also jump for joy when we experience tribulations. Right? Why should we do that? Because when our minds have been renewed by the Spirit of God, we come to that understanding that tribulations bring forth perseverance. Perseverance brings forth proven character. Proven character brings forth hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out, poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is growing in grace and peace. This is the Christian walk, the Christian life. It's becoming more like Jesus by the love work of the Holy Spirit. And it all starts with finding peace with God in Jesus. Secondly, let's look at the peace of God. The peace of God is the fruit grown in a reconciled life. The peace of God is fruit grown in a reconciled life. If God is our peace, then to know him and to grow in our knowledge of him is to grow in peace. The closer we draw to him, the more of his peace we experience. First Peter one, two says to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father by the sanctifying work of the spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. 
In the Bible Speaks Today New Testament, John R.W. Stott says this, Simon Peeper, the Galilean fisherman, knew the Prince of Peace of whom Isaiah spoke. In the upper room at the Last Supper and again at the Resurrection, Jesus had blessed the disciples with his peace. Now that peace was not the political peace that the people expected the Messiah to bring. The world, Jesus said, could not give it or take it away. The Messiah's peace was given in the shadow of the cross. Jesus gave his peace not only in spite of the cross, but because of the cross. By his death, he bore the judgment of God's just wrath and made peace not only between Jew and Gentile, but between God and man. Peter's brief greeting, grace and peace be yours in abundance, gives in miniature the whole message of his letter. He writes to those who already feel the scorn and malice of an unbelieving world. Writing from Rome under the emperor Nero, Peter knows that they will experience much worse. Can he really pronounce peace and abundance to those who are only beginning to discover the suffering of, of Christ to which they are called? Peter writes for that very purpose. Once he had fought to defend the shalom of the Messiah, under the olive trees of Gethsemane, he drew his sword to resist those who came to arrest Jesus. But Jesus made him sheath his sword after one misdirected uh, stroke. Peter wanted to fight because he feared that the death of Jesus would end all hope of victory, all hope of the Messiah's peace. But the death of Jesus had done just the opposite. It had accomplished the salvation of God's anointed. Now Peter, the apostle of the risen Lord, can pronounce peace. The peace that comes not by the sword, but by the cross. His letter expands on the blessing that is distilled in his greeting. May grace and peace be yours in abundance or in fullest measure. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Circumstances and events, trials or tribulations, persecution or insults, do not affect our peace if our peace is firmly rooted and found in Jesus. The peace of God surpasses comprehension, all understanding. And it guards our hearts and minds in Jesus. So peace with God comes through the relationship with Jesus that only he can reconcile. And the peace of God comes through the relationship with him that only the Holy Spirit can grow and mature. He reconciles us to himself, for himself, and to his glory. You know, in this world we see everything only in part. As 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, or as in a riddle, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I am fully known. And this is the part of our great hope that one day we will see see him face to face and know in full, for we shall see him as he is. As 1 John 3, 2 through 3 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. 
And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Our hope is to be like Jesus and to be pleasing to him. Our hope is life eternal with him in heaven. 2017 has been a a tough year in some ways for me on a personal level with a lot of sorrow. With the death of my spiritual mentor, J.O. Williams, in late December of last year, the death of my mother on September 19th, at least in my 30th wedding anniversary. Sorry. Then the death of my dear friend and brother in Christ, Mike Becker, just a few weeks ago. And finally, a couple of weeks ago, a woman that I went to elementary, middle, and high school with, who was a strong believer, died of cancer after a long battle. At times this year, my peace has been tested, but God's grace has been sufficient. And the passing of each of these saints has caused me to ponder more fervently about the next life and what awaits me in heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my life here on earth. I love my wife. I love my family. I love this church. I'm not in a hurry uh, to step into eternity. I'd like to prepare a little while longer. But there is an anticipation beginning to build in me that's changing my perspective on what lies ahead. And as a result, there's a peace regarding what God has planned for the remainder of my life before stepping into the next. You know, many people are fearful of dying. And many believers dread going to heaven. It's because they have this concept that we'll be sitting on a cloud strumming a harp all the time or something like that. But heaven in the Bible is revealed as so much more, so different. When we begin to know what is ahead of us, it's easier to let go of what lies behind. And what is ahead of us is Jesus. Face-to-face relationship with Jesus. No longer knowing in part, but knowing in full. I love Charles Spurgeon's perspective on death when he said, to come to thee is to come home from exile. To come to land out of the raging storm. To come to rest after long labor. To come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. I particularly thought about that one, to come to land after being on a raging sea. It's nothing like stepping on dry land (laughs) when you've been seasick on the bad sea. To come to rest after long labor. And then to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. Is Jesus that for us? Are we at that place where he is the goal of all our desires, the summit of all our wishes? To be in the presence of Jesus will be the completion of peace with God and the peace of God. Our peace is rooted in knowing that we've been reconciled to God by faith in His Son, and His peace is growing in us out of the love work of the Holy Spirit with the goal of preparing us 
to be in his presence. His peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until he comes, until he calls us to himself and all to the glory of God. I'd like to close this morning with a passage of scripture from 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 14, where the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith. May the Lord speak his word to quicken you, to equip you, to encourage you, to embolden you, to give you peace and to challenge you towards heaven because of his great love for you. Paul writes, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed And I am convinced that he is able to guard that what I've entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father God, I thank you for giving your only begotten Son on our behalf. Father, I thank you for doing the thing that none of us could do. We had a debt we could not pay. You paid a debt you did not owe. Thank you, Lord, that when we placed our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, we have been reconciled to God. Case closed. We have peace with you. Lord, sometimes we take that peace for granted. This morning, God, we give you thanks. We worship you. That we have peace with you and then the Holy Spirit's work in us that gives us the peace of God. that fruit that's growing in our lives along with love and joy and patience and kindness and self-control. So this morning, Lord, I guess what I would want to communicate is thank you. Thank you. Lord, give us a heavenly perspective, a perspective of where we're going that our energies and our focus, our desires, our, our wishes in this life would be focused on Jesus. To be like Him. To honor Him with our lives. To honor Him with our words. Lord, continue the good work that You've begun in us. Prepare us for that day when we stand face to face, no longer seeing in part, but knowing fully as we have been fully known.
in thinking of the banquet next week, Lord, and lives that have not been touched yet by your Spirit, eyes that have not been opened, hearts that have not been opened. We pray for the work of the Holy Spirit next week. I pray that the work of all of our hands, that we would prepare the way, that we would make straight the path of the Lord next weekend. That your spirit would be able to move through that room and touch lives. This one, that one, I choose you. I choose you. What a miraculous thing we will witness next weekend. The work of God reconciling men and women to himself. The work of the Holy Spirit calling them to a higher calling. The beginning of eternity for some people. All we can say is thank you. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be partakers of your grace and your mercy. Forgive us of our sin, our shortcomings, our stunted vision. Have your way in this, Lord, and glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.